Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of y'all. Everybody good? 11.30? Y'all ready? Everybody good? Let's go. Um, it's been a great morning. Just came from our Explore gathering. Got to meet a lot of great folks who are relatively new. And I know some people that came last week, Easter is their first, very first time here. Uh, maybe today we have uh, folks who came back, second time here. We just, whether you've been here a long time, it's your first time, uh, we love that you're here. It's a big deal to us. So what we try to do in our Bible study time is walk through passages of Scripture. We've now been in the book of Hebrews for uh, months and months, and we're in chapter 10 of Hebrews, so I hope you have a Bible. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be today in verses 19 through 25. We've called this series The Race because it's a fitting analogy for following Jesus. In a race, you have to, first of all, have a purpose. Why am I running? You gotta prepare to run. You gotta learn to keep a certain pace. And then there's times where it gets tough. You gotta persevere. And the author to the Hebrews is writing to a bunch of people who wanted to tap out. They wanted to say, you know, following Jesus is too hard because for them, following Jesus meant a life of persecution, a life of hardship. A lot of us don't face what they faced. And yet we need the same challenge when we run our race. Today I wanna to talk to you about this idea that we are greater than me. What I mean by that is that the collective power we have together, specifically as the body of Christ, is greater than anything we could do on our own. Now, the, the idea of being better together is true in so many areas of life. Whether you're trying to get in shape, you know, how many people say, I wanna get in shape, you go to the gym for two weeks, and then before long, they're not going anymore. But there's something about accountability, having another person do it with you that greatly increases the chances that you'll stick to that habit. Maybe you wanna start a new hobby. It's one thing to do on your own. More than likely, if you do it with somebody else, to do it longer, it's true of a job. How many people quit their jobs, not because they don't like the actual task of the job, but because they struggle with the people? We are greater than me. I think an awesome illustration of this happened in the 1992 Olympic Games with a runner, I'm talking about a race, a runner, by the name of Derek Redmond. He was Great Britain's best hope to win a medal in the 400 until in the semifinal race, something went devastatingly wrong and he needed to rely on the help of somebody else. That person happened to be his dad. Don't take my word for it. Check this out. Isn't that good? Uh, we are greater than me. Not only that displays the power of a father's love, more importantly, the idea that we are better together. That's also true of the church. When a lot of people think about church, they tend to do so selfishly. I don't think they always mean to, but they tend to think about this place, let's say Johnson Ferry, I come here to get something might be to get teaching, to get motivated, to get inspired, to get music I like, to get a whole host of things, to get help with my kids. But to understand what this thing is and the way God sees it is to see the incredible power of we and that we, as John Safari, are greater than me. In this text today, the author is gonna remind us of some incredible honors that we have as followers of Jesus 
but he's gonna also challenge us with some habits that we need to develop, not just as individuals, but as the collective body of Christ. So let's look at this amazing passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. It's our tradition that when we teach it, we first stand and read it. So if you would now, let's stand together. I wanna read for you Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Love seeing all the Bibles, love it. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's approach God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray about that. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. God, we aim to be people of truth, but God, we also aim to be a place of belonging. So Lord, would you help those things happen today as we hear and respond to what you have for us today? We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray, amen. Amen, you guys have a seat. Verse 19 represents a transition in the book of Hebrews. If you've been with us the last few months, we have spent a long time talking about the priesthood of Jesus. And for most of us who did not grow up in Jewish households, we missed the punch of this teaching. See, he's comparing the superiority of the new covenant with the obsolescence of the old covenant. And he's been doing that for a number of weeks. And this is a transition passage because from now to the end of Hebrews, which is most likely a sermon that we have from the first century, he's gonna now hammer several different points of practical application. So in a way, what we're hearing today is summing up the arguments that he's made for a number of weeks to us, but also it serves as a transition to what do we do in light of it. I wanna talk about honors that we have in Jesus but also habits that we are to develop because we follow Jesus. Or maybe you would say, we have certain rewards because of the finished work of Jesus, but we also have responsibilities in light of that finished work because of the accomplishments of Jesus. So first of all, let's look at two honors that we have because of Christ. They're found in verses 19 through 21. The first is this, because of Jesus' finished work, we have confident access, confident access. If you look at verse 19 and 20, therefore, brothers and sisters, so this is to the church, to Christians, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. A word that in my translation here, New American Standard, is translated confidence. Yours might say boldness or something else. That's a really key word 
And it means something like the authority to speak or even free speech. What it meant was that you would have access to something because of the finished work of somebody else. It's like having a backstage pass. You ever had a backstage pass to meet a famous athlete, a celebrity? What if right now you left here, you drove down to the airport, you got on a plane, you flew to Washington, D.C. because you wanted, to, you wanted to see the White House. And you got in an Uber and that Uber took you around the house, you saw the outside, then you paid for one of those tours and they would show you certain rooms in the White House. I guarantee you, you might see some, but you cannot see all of the White House. There are plenty of rooms there that are off limits to you. No trespassing. What he's saying is that because of the finished work of Jesus, we now have a backstage pass to see God. Isn't that amazing? And he calls it a new way. This is different than the old covenant. He calls it a living way. It's not a dead way filled with rules and rituals, but this living, life-giving way that he says was inaugurated for us through the veil that is through his flesh. Remember the Old Testament with the temple and it had that curtain and only the high priest could go in between the curtain into the Holy of Holies. We've talked about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. What he's saying is that now in Jesus, he is the veil and we can go through him into the holy place. So what you have if you are saved in Christ is confident access or a backstage path to see God Almighty. Isn't that amazing? And the other honor that you have is that in Jesus, you have, number two, an eternal priest. We've talked about this now for the last few weeks, and I hope that you have seen the relevancy of Jesus being a priest. Maybe you never even thought about Jesus being a priest. You think about him as being a king, which he is, a lord, which he is, a savior, which he is. There's a whole host of titles that we could put to Jesus. But I hope that after reading Hebrews, you've seen that Jesus is also your high priest. I think that's crazy because right now it means that he is, he is interacting with us. He is hearing us. He's hearing me. He hears us when we sing. He watches our interaction. He is mediating and praying for and intercessing all these things that the priest would do. And to people who grew up in Jewish households who always thought that a human being had to be a high priest to give you access to God, what he's saying is, no, 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 now you have one priest, you'll never need another one, and his name is Jesus, amen? And this is the point of Hebrews. Hebrews is is like a sermon. And in many ways, it's a sermon based on Psalm 110, This is what Psalm 110 says about the coming Messiah. It says lots of things, but it says this. Verse four, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Remember Melchizedek, our good friend Mel, back in Hebrews seven? They're saying Jesus is the king, Jesus is this priest, and I love that Jesus changes lives because he is the king and priest. He's changed a lot of your lives. I love seeing what he does. And I love to see what he's done in my life and all the difference he's made for me. I mean, I I still struggle like you do. We still have sin to deal with. Not its penalty, but certainly his presence. And I think about his finished work, that, that what he started, he will finish on the day of Christ Jesus. 
in my life and in your life, which means that if you're in Jesus, you have all these privileges and honors. Now, it doesn't mean that you are right now who you're gonna be. It doesn't even mean that you're always who you want to be. But because of Jesus' finished work, you are definitely not who you used to be, amen? Because you have confident access to God, you have a priest who cares and wants to change your life, and that's the benefit of salvation in Jesus. And if you are a believer in Jesus, all of that and more is yours. But you know what the other side of the coin is? If you're not a believer in Jesus, it means that you don't have access to God. And it means that you don't have a priest who's watching out for you. Now, if you are an unbeliever, we love that you're here. We want you here. We want you to ask some questions. We want you to like, figure all this out and we want God to change your life. But what we're talking about is so important. Now, the shift that he makes is from recognizing what each of us have in Christ to now the habits that he wants us to develop because we recognize what we have in Christ. It's so important to get this right because so many people think that the way we are right with God is by keeping all the rules. As long as I do good stuff and the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. Now, the reality is that Christianity isn't about what you do, it's about what was done for you. But when you realize what was done for you, it changes what you do. Because of the honors that we have in Christ, now we have habits that we wanna develop. Now, why do I call them habits? Well, what he's gonna do in verses 22 through 25, he's gonna give us three commands. And all of these commands are given in in, well, in the Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, in the present active, um, it's a present active verb, which means that these are not one-time things, they're ongoing things, like a habit. It's not like, hey, I checked the box, did it, I'm good. No, this is something you have to do every single day. And what you're gonna see in verses 22 to 25 is that he's gonna use the first person plural, which means let us, we, us. So he's not just talking about you as an individual, but he's saying we, as the collective body of Christ, we are to develop certain habits. Well, what are these habits? I'm glad you asked. Number one, if we are going to live out the way of Jesus with one another, number one, we need to prioritize our worship. We need to prioritize our worship. In verse 22, here's the first let us. He said, let's approach God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, the big distinction here, of course, to those who grew up in Jewish households was that growing up, they always knew that the priest had to be externally clean. For him to take the blood of an animal into the Holy of Holies on behalf of you and your family, he had to be ceremonially clean, externally clean. So there's a huge emphasis on being externally clean. But the difference now is that because of the finished work of Christ, what's important is not that you're externally clean, but that your heart is internally clean. That you have a sincere heart before the Lord. And he says that we should approach God, another key word in the book of Hebrews, that we draw near to God, that we approach God. How do we approach him? We approach him with a sincere heart. 
And then he reminds us of what's been done for your heart. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water. Last week we baptized a number of different people. Uh, When he says washed with water, he's not talking about baptism. He's talking about the Old Testament tabernacle system where the priest had to be clean on the outside. But now here's what's amazing in Jesus. You can be clean from the inside out. But it also means that even for those of us who follow Jesus, we need to be careful that when we approach God, we do so with a clean heart, a genuine heart, a heart that's all in for the things of Jesus. Your car has a neutral gear. Did you know that? You may not know that. In fact, right now, you could go out of your car, you could just put in neutral, you could sit in our parking lot all day. You'd be weird, but you can do that. The Christian life does not have a neutral gear. You got two gears, forward and reverse. Which means that right now, for all of you who say I'm a believer in Jesus, right now, you are either drawing closer to Jesus or you are falling away. You are never in neutral. And I gotta be honest, it is easy for me, it's easy for you to lose our heart for the Lord, to lose our passion for the Lord, to lose, to lose a sense of, of sincere devotion to Christ. Jesus wrote these letters to the, to the church in Revelation, several different, seven different churches. There's one church he's writing in Ephesus. This is a good church. A lot of things they did really well. They, they were really good on truth and doctrine and orthodoxy and all these things, theology. But here's what he said in Revelation 2, 4 against Ephesus. He says, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. I wonder how many people in this room have left their first love. You're devoted to truth but your heart's not devoted to Jesus. You're all about duty and you've lost your sense of delight. Think about it this way. Let's say that for those of you, let's say that you're married and tomorrow is Monday and you show up from work and your wife is there and she gets home from work, whatever she's doing, and you present her a beautiful bouquet of flowers. Now, some of you have to really imagine that this would happen, but just imagine for a second that you give her flowers, and she's blown away by it, and she says, wow, well, well, thank you. Why why did you do that? Imagine if you said to her, because I had to. (laughs) I mean, that's what good husbands do. That's the duty. Give give her wise flowers. Might just get it over with. I'll just do it on the way home from work. Let me ask you, how how do you think that would go? You're doing the duty, Man, there's no delight. I wonder if when you gather here on Sunday morning, after all, since he's talking about the let us, we won't talk about what happens in your home privately, but just when you gather on Sunday, is your heart here? Not here at Johnson Ferry, but is your heart focused on Jesus? I wanna give you just some practical things to think about when you get ready to worship on Sundays. And I know that worship happens 24-7. It doesn't only happen, got, got it. But a lot of us don't really think about how to prepare our hearts. Here's just a couple practical suggestions that you might wanna think through. How do you prepare for Sundays? You can take a screenshot or whatever, but 
First of all, I'd start on Saturday night. As a friend of mine says, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision, which means you have to develop rhythms where you get good sleep. I mean, if you stay up binge watching Netflix till 2 a.m., and you come in here on Sunday morning, you're like, well, I didn't really get anything out of that. It has probably more to do with your physical condition than what the Lord was doing. Rhythms of rest. Read and reflect on the text being taught. We email that to every single person every single week and figure out what text we're gonna teach. Take 10 minutes, read it, reflect on it. Bring a Bible and take notes. I love, by the way, how many of you bring Bibles. And when I say Bibles, I mean like things with paper in it, Bibles. Now, there's nothing wrong with, I mean, look, I, I've got Bible apps on this and I use it. There's a lot of good stuff. And, and maybe you're better than me, but on the Sundays when I'm out here and I'm not preaching and I'm, I'm just trying to listen and I try to do it on my phone, maybe you're better than me, but I, I got the Bible app and I'm sitting there listening and it's amazing how I'm like, oh, but there's the ESPN app. Oh, Twitter, what's going on there? Instagram, mm, that's cool. What about email? Got an old oh, text message. Oh, I gotta do that. You know, and, and maybe, don't look at me like that. Maybe it's just me, but I struggle. I would encourage you, if you struggle, put this down, pick this up. They have these things now called pens. You can write on pieces of paper. Take notes. Now, I know to do that, some of y'all would be in detox the whole time, like this, the whole sermon. Like. But that goes with the next one, delay screen time, declutter your mind. I, I would try not to just fill your mind with social media before you, before you come here. Uh, arrive early, which I know is hard to do sometimes, especially with the kids, but just don't be late. Come with a prayerful heart. Put your focus on God. That's who we're here to worship and to focus Him. And we all have preferences, worship preferences, music preferences. I have preferences, you have preferences. Sometimes people say, well, I didn't, I didn't like the music. And I wanna say, well, that's okay because we weren't singing to you. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even think about you while I was singing because this song ain't about you. Expect God to speak and move and spend time with God's people afterward. We go on and on. But are, are we approaching God with a sincere heart? I mean, for real, like, are you faking it? Have you lost your first love? Number two. Number two, let us point others to the truth. Point others to the truth. Where do I get that? Look at verse 23. He said, let's, there it is again, let us, so we're talking collectively, let us hold firmly to the, notice the definite article, the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Christianity is about God making the first move, him holding on to you. But there also is a sense where we appropriately hold on to God. Sometimes we sing that song, he will hold me fast. That, that's an old nautical term. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Master and Commander. There's a scene where there's this old guy and he's about to get captured by the enemy and they're wondering, will he break? And he says, no. And he, he holds out his knuckles and here's what his knuckles say on them. They say, hold fast. That's a nautical term of saying, I'm gonna have one ship, one hand gripped to this boat, one hand available to do the work. No matter what storms come, I won't be tossed and fro. What he says to us in this passage is that we have to hold firmly to the confession of our hope. I think that's a way of talking about 
the sum total of the gospel and the truth of Jesus. Like when Jude says, contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We are to hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. We live in a world that wants us to waver. That word is fascinating by the word, uh, by the way, it, it's uh, akline. Kline is uh, the same root word that we get something like clinic. If you go to a clinic, a doc in the box, urgent care, you're probably gonna lay down. It's a place of laying down to be treated. Akline means the opposite, don't lay down. So when he says, hold to the confession of your hope without wavering, stand up, don't lay down. Don't fall over. Don't get pushed over. It's hard to stand up for Jesus at your school. It's hard to stand up for Jesus in your corporation. It's hard to stand up for Jesus in many of your families. It's hard to stand up for Jesus in the trials of life. Do not let go of Jesus because he who promised is faithful. I think one of the practical outworkings of that for a church is that we have to make sure that we're constantly pointing one another to go back to the confession of our hope, truth not falling prey to heresy. Now, heresy is a word that sometimes gets thrown out and often it's used if someone else disagrees with you about some debated Bible topic. You're a heretic. Well, thank you. Good to see you too. What is heresy? Heresy technically is not coming to a different interpretation for where the Bible is not crystal clear. I mean, there's a lot of things in the Bible where there's some degree of debate, there's some level of mystery that we don't fully and perfectly understand. Plenty of things we'll get to heaven one day and ask God about. Plenty of ways it works itself out, whether it's church leadership, uh, baptism. Is it okay to baptize babies or do you have to be adults? Uh, Issues of soteriology. Some of you are Calvinists, some of you are right. There, There are different interpretations of of all that stuff, right? And just because someone sides with you or doesn't side with you on a debated topic of theology doesn't mean they're a heretic. But here's what a heretic is, and this is why it matters. A heretic is someone who takes what the Bible calls the pattern of sound teaching, the, the generally understood doctrine of the church, and willfully denies and disobeys it. That's a heretic. And, and there are plenty of heresies that float around and influence the church today. I could give you a long list. Here's just five to give you just some examples. This would be a heresy. Number one, Jesus isn't the only way to God. That's a heresy. And we live in a world where anything that's exclusive doesn't feel fair. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one. That means no one comes to the Father but through me. Another heresy, Jesus is not God. Many people think, oh, Jesus is a great figure, Messiah even, died on the cross. Wonderful, not God, or at least not equal to the Father. The Bible teaches karma. I hear that all the time. Popular to throw that phrase around. They go, oh yeah, the Bible teaches karma. That means sowing and reaping. You do this, good things, God blesses you. You don't do these things, bad things come to you. And a lot of people believe that that's what the Christian life is like. Karma is not only teaching that good things happen to you if you do good things, but there's a whole set of teaching about the afterlife and what happens to you when you die with karma. I would suggest we just not even use 
that terminology because it's not biblical. The Holy Spirit is not a personal being. Many people treat the Holy Spirit like it's an it or it's Star Wars and it's some force in the air. The Holy Spirit is an equal part of the Trinity, is a personal being. He works in your life as a believer. Number five, humans are not sinful by nature. Right now we're living in the midst of a human potential movement that you can be more, you can do more, you need to think positively, you need to say positive thoughts. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we do need to think positive thoughts, think positive thoughts. Philippians 4.8 tells us to think about things that are excellent and true and praiseworthy. That's a good thing. But let's not forget that Jesus not only came to die on a cross, but Jesus had to come and die on a cross. Because we can't solve our sin problem, only he can. We are sinners by nature, who can be gloriously saved through the finished work of Jesus. So we need to hold one another to truth. Now, we don't wanna be a church filled with a bunch of heresy hunters. You ever been with them, heresy hunters? They're really fun at a party. They're great people. But we need to uphold the confession of our faith and hold people to it. All right, thirdly, what's the last habit? Thirdly is this. We need to provoke others through encouragement. Provoke others through encouragement. In verse 24 and 25, he said, and let's consider, so think about this. Let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That, that word for to encourage, your text may say to stir up. This word, it, it means to irritate, to shake up. It's almost always used negatively. It, we might say like this, it means to pester, to provoke. How many of you have little brothers and sisters? Anybody? Yeah, how many of them pester you to death? Anybody? How many of you were the baby brothers and sisters? Isn't it glorious just being one of those? Isn't it great? This word literally means to provoke, to pester. And yet it's not a negative thing. What the Bible's telling us here is that we as the body of Christ, we need to provoke, shake one another up, pester one another to do what? To live in love and to do good deeds. So we should be the most encouraging place on the planet that's constantly pushing people back to keep their eyes on Jesus, pushing people, provoking people to do all that God wants them to do in their life. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. And then he gives an example. He says, not forsaking the assembling together, which is the habit of some. Now let's just pause here. I think to the Hebrews, the reason that they probably did not meet is because... Uh, to meet and identify with the body of Christ was to bring about persecution in your life. I mean, saying yes to Jesus made your life hard. And many of them didn't wanna meet because of that. And he's saying, you need, you need to meet. Now, in our day and age, we have a, a day and age, we have a completely different set of issues. Usually it's not because we're persecuted, certainly not for most of us, we're not persecuted for meeting. It's because we have filled up our lives with so many secondary things. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians are like, man, I'm in a church. Yeah, church is cool. And I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. As long as 
our kid didn't have a travel baseball tournament or there's not a gymnastics meet or we'd have a wedding or we're at our beach house or, I mean, you get the drill. Now, I could just get on soapbox and just hump a ton of guilt on people for that and it'd be easy to do that. And that's, that's really not my intention, but here's what I want you to see. His comparison in the text is not between not meeting and meeting. He's not saying that the way you encourage one another is to stop not meeting and to start meeting. No, no, no. He's saying that the, the remedy to not meeting together is to encourage one another. Church is not about what you come to get. Many weeks, it's about what you come to give. And what you can give to this body of Christ is encouragement. And the reality is, is if you're not here, if you're always gone, if this always gets second best in your life, someone is gonna miss the encouragement that only you can bring to their life. Let us consider how to provoke one another, encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Folks, this life is temporary. And the church is setting us up in this world, being the people of God in the next world. So we've got some habits we've got to develop. We need to make our worship a priority. We need to point others to the truth. And let's provoke one another, pester one another to love and good deeds, to encouragement. Father God, we just come to you and thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder to be the people of God. Lord, I thank you for all these beautiful promises that you've given to us in Jesus. Thank you that we have access to you. Thank you that we have a boldness to approach you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never given their life to Jesus, would today be the day that they do that? Would today be the day that they move from not having access to getting a backstage pass with you? And Lord, I pray for those of us who claim to follow Jesus, Lord, that we would not lose our first love but we'd stand faithfully, holding firmly to all the promises that you've declared over us. God, there's a lot of people in this room that are tempted to waver, have been wavering for quite some time. But we're reminded, Father, that we don't have to because he who promised is faithful. Lord, great is your faithfulness. Thank you for the faithfulness you've displayed in Jesus. It's your name we pray, and it's in the name of the, your power that we sing. Amen.